The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Thank you all for joining us today. My name is Anthony Sis, and you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me and Sharon on another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Hello. Hello, hello, Sharon. <laughs> How are you doing today? Today is a very good day. It's a little rainy, but still a very good day. Love summertime in the Finger Lakes. Summertime is really beautiful. I will say that. So I definitely have enjoyed all of the nature things to do. Mm-hmm. As somebody who is from a large city like Chicago, yes, there is definitely a lot of nature here. So I need to get to exploring a little bit more, but I'm excited that the summer is here. Ithaca and Cornell known for their trails, their hiking, their biking, so just jump in wherever you want. And, and also the lake, please feel free to jump into the lake too. Cayuga Lake, or is that, or is oh no, Cayuga Lake is the only one worth jumping into. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's good to know. I didn't even know that. So on today's episode, we have not just one but two special guests who are joining us for. More of what's, what's going, going on. on. Oh, that was perfect. That was really <laughs> great. This means that our guest speakers are continuing a conversation that Sharon and I discussed on what's going on in the previous episode. As you may recall, we spoke in our previous episode about the strengths and advantages that veterans bring into the workplace, and we are delighted that our guest speakers, Craig Wiggers and Amber Alpizar, will continue this conversation today. Craig is the Director of Administration in the Department of Physics in the College of Arts and Sciences. Craig is a veteran and served 25 years in the United States Marine Corps. Craig is also a member, a board member of the Veterans Colleague Network Group and serves as the veteran representative for the Employee Assembly. Amber Alpizar is the Human Resources Director for Alumni Affairs and Development. Amber is also a veteran and served 10 years in the U.S. Army Reserves. Amber started her journey here at Cornell two years ago, and we actually just mes- recently met at the Inclusive Excellence Summit. So Craig and Amber, Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Yay. It's a pleasure Thanks to be here. Thanks for being here. Before we get started, I do have a question of the day for all of us to answer. So mm. this is a tradition that we do for <laughs> each and every podcast episode. And, and just so you know, I don't know the question until I am here in the hot seat. Oh. Right here with you. So all right. All yes. Bring it on. <laughs> but it's, it's a pretty good question, I think. It's an interesting question that I think will benefit everybody. So we try to ask questions that will you know, get people to think who are listening to this episode. So the question for today is, what is your best piece of advice for those looking to get started on diversity and inclusion initiatives in their office? I would tell you to get out of the office, to get out across campus Mm. and to meet those that are currently involved in different initiatives to really understand some of the complexities of Mm. of the large space that we work in. And if you have a clear picture of of the different work that's happening, it will facilitate your ability to to make those connections once you're back in your office and and move things forward. That's a great answer. That is a great piece of advice. I'd like to piggyback on that if possible. In addition to getting out of the office and see what's happening around you, I would say inquire about the history of what's already happened within your office, within your space and your department, or even division if it comes to that, depending on the level of change that you want to see happen in the area of diversity and inclusion. I would say definitely 
look back in order to make steps mm -hmm. forward. So that, that would be my advice. I would also say um, I would think about where you may have allies or other people within your own office who has interest in this and the two of you or three of you, hopefully a collective of you, are both reaching out across campus to understand what's happening and bringing some of those ideas back to your home department, office, division, college mm -hmm. as well. For me, I think the, the best piece of advice I can give is the buy-in. I think the buy-in is so important. And mm -hmm. so I think what oftentimes happens with diversity and inclusion in different offices is that there's one person solely designated to focus on diversity and inclusion. But diversity and inclusion in an office or in a team really requires the buy-in from everybody on mm -hmm. that team. Because mm -hmm. I think what often ends up happening is that that one person gets tasked with solely diversity and inclusion, but then they're also trying to get the buy-in while also doing the work. And that those are two different jobs. I right. think the buy-in from the team and from a, a unit or an office needs to already be established before giving somebody the task to really focus on diversity and inclusion. And I think if everyone has that buy-in already, then it makes the job and it makes the work of starting diversity and inclusion so much more effective and easier for it to really come into fruition. So with the four answers that we just shared here, I think the entire listening population is now ready to go out and do diversity and inclusion work. <laughs> I <laughs> think so great too. Advice. Team effort. Team effort, yeah. that's right. Yes. I would add one other thought too that I think it's important to understand what the value proposition or the return on investment is. So in, in my experience in D&I work at Cornell and prior to Cornell, um, we thought about who are the customers or populations, what are we, what, what's our mission, who are we serving? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we look at, we're serving a population that is increasingly more diverse. And so we need to emulate that internally as an organization too. I would encourage people to think about what is it that's unique to the work that you do? What's the mission overall at Cornell? And then how do we start to build, um, put those pieces together and understand what the investment or value proposition is for um, this space? It's not a nice to have, it's an imperative. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you all for sharing. That was a great question. That was yeah. a great question. Um, and it sparks good conversation. And that's exactly what we try to do here on the podcast. It's just about having conversation and getting some things started. Okay, so with that said, here is the first question, which is really, it's easy. <laughs> and I'm going to throw it out to Amber and Craig. What pronouns do you use? I had a feeling you were going to ask this question because I've been listening in on some of the other podcasts. Right. And so I uh, will put myself out there on a limb a little bit, uncomfortable to say, but I, I present as she and as female in the world. But I've also been uh, for a number of years working on really integrating my internal sense of my masculine and feminine energies. So on internally, I don't really identify with a gender, but I present as female on the, um, to the external world. Thank uh, you for sharing. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. That was great. And mine are he, his, him. All right. Great. Well, thank you both. So, veterans, mm -hmm. let's find out more of what's going on, shall we, Anthony? I say we do it. In your opinion, what are some of the unique benefits that a veteran would bring to a workplace, whether it's Cornell or any workplace? Maybe one or two things that are specific that a veteran would bring to an organization. And either one of you can start. Yeah, I'd say the the experiences of, of working in teams to achieve a specific goal is critically important. And regardless of the technicality of a job or a uh, requirement within a staff position description, those uh, intangibles of, of teamwork and the right attitude 
enthusiasm, bringing all that to the, uh, to the workplace really can have a positive influence on those around you. Thank you. And I see Amber is shaking her head. Yes. yes. Yeah, I would absolutely add on to that leadership, communication, problem solving. Um, when I think about what veterans have is unique to bring to a workplace, you know, you have to look past what are the specific technical skills or what was the job that they did in the military and think about um, the exposure that they've had to working in teams, uh, particularly under really stressful environments, working with people from all walks of life. So exposure to diversity and the need to uh, create your own inclusive team. And that, and, and as I mentioned, the leadership and communication are really things that don't always pop at you on a resume, but are so valuable to bring into an organization. So what what doesn't pop on a resume? I just want to expand on that because I do feel like when Anthony and I spoke two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there are skills that you are being trained in as an active military person. Mm -hmm. Can you just share one or two skills that may not be easily transferable onto a resume, but you know that they are value that you're bringing to an organization? Sure. Amphibious landings. (laughs) That's that's a difficult thing to translate into an academic environment. But what it requires is the timing, the coordination, the landing is something that takes place with thousands of people involved. Mm -hmm. And being a part of that larger evolution and bringing your expertise to the accomplishment of that goal It's intangible in some respects, but it's also relatable if you're able to talk about that large group collaboration, Mm -hmm. if you're able to talk about what you have to accomplish in in a challenging environment. So it is difficult to translate your service to a civilian resume, but it's not impossible. No, it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. And we we don't want it to be. This is why we're having these conversations so that other employers who may be listening to this podcast can say, you know what, I can find correlations between your experiences and positions that we have available. So yes, I I, I like the more obscure amphibious landings that Mm -hmm. are out there, Mm -hmm. and I love seeing connections and ways to make that translate into a position here or anywhere else. I think that the military in general can be very process oriented, and so that's those skills can translate into so many different jobs and careers. But there's also flexibility as well. So not you're process oriented, but you also have to be able to maneuver quickly depending on what happens in a situation. So you both have to be flexible and grounded at the same time. What's coming to me now, I'm like laughing to myself because it's been so many years since I was in the military, but I still remember even through basic training, the acronym um, leadership, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And all of the ways that that bringing that as part of your identity into uh, an environment is just incredible. It doesn't go away. Piggyback on on something Amber just said too, with regard to that flexibility piece, because I think a lot of folks would expect that there's not a lot of flexibility within the, the military environment. But we operate under this thing called commander's intent. And commander's intent is basically, you know, ultimately where do you want to be at the end of an operation? And sometimes that requires subordinate leaders to work within still a larger parameter, but 
but it gives them that flexibility. If they understand, you know, I've got to get from point A to point B and do it in, in a certain way, you know, there's a lot of ways you can, you can take that route. And so it's kind of like, I'm going to tell you to make some eggs. I'm not going to tell you how to cook them. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. As long as the finished product is still mm -hmm. what, something that everybody can benefit from. Correct. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I think for me, one of the things I think about a lot with veterans is that there's so much kind of misconceptions and stereotypes around veterans and kind of especially in their transition back to civilian life. And I think a lot of it tends to be more so on kind of the negative piece, right, that, you know, there's, there's a lot involved in that transition, but it's not always negative, right? And so I think what are some of the stereotypes, misconceptions that maybe you've heard in previous experiences about veterans transitioning into the workplace? And what would you kind of say to combat some of those stereotypes for people who are listening? So um, I would say from my perspective, the, the community piece is such an important factor mm -hmm. in, in bringing service men and women back into the fold, if you will. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, you mentioned uh, regarding the stereotypes, it's a two-way street. There are stereotypes from the military side, too, oh. about civilians that are not positive. Yeah. And, you know, um, I remember prior to coming to Cornell to teach ROTC, uh, I had spoken with some colleagues, and they said, oh, you're going to that really liberal place, you know. And, and I said, well, you know, it, it, whatever Cornell is, that's, that's where I'm headed. And the reality is so different. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a welcoming environment. And if I would wear my uniform over to, say, Trillium to get some lunch, there rarely would a student or a staff member or faculty member not just say, hey, thanks for your service. Thanks for what you did. I, I even had somebody buy me lunch one time oh, just to nice. acknowledge uh, what we did. And, you know, whether it's on campus or down in Ithaca, we live in a, a really remarkable community that I think has um, embraces these differences. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it is that two-way street sometimes, but... Mm -hmm. um, you know, folks have to keep their eyes and their ears open and, and treat others with respect and move things along. I think that it's important for anyone, I'm, I'm trying to think about this through the lens of a veteran, but it also translates to everyone. When you're coming into a new community or a work environment, it's really important that you have a friend um, or find your, you know, you find a place where you have your sense of belonging. So being able to integrate into the community, opening your, you know, being courageous enough to open your mind to say, I'm going to show up and this is who I am and this mm -hmm. is a part of my experience, maybe not my entire identity, but to put yourself out there and then to find community to help you along the way. That, that's exactly what we are doing with the uh, belonging at Cornell. Mm -hmm. um, it is about allowing people to be who they are, be their full selves as they, as they come into the organization, whether you are approaching Cornell from a student, staff, or faculty avenue, um, we want you to feel like you belong here. So that is a wonderful way to just kind of drive home some, some of the uh, ideas that have already been started and are in motion. And uh, yes, belonging is a huge part of who we are and how we find community is by first trying to figure out where do I belong? Where, where am I where 
this person, this place has left space for me mm-hmm. and welcomed me. So that that's a big deal. And we, we do work hard at Cornell to make sure that happens. Well, and, and from the veteran side, you're, you're seeing it in action mm-hmm. at the top levels of leadership at the university, whether it's Provost Kotlikoff and his efforts to increase undergraduate recruitment of veterans, uh, the expansion of the Yellow Ribbon Program, um, and, and looking at ways that the GI Bill can uh, be positively used here on campus. Uh, so, uh, and, and it's sincerely appreciated by the veteran community uh, you know, when we talk about it within the VCNG and you look at some of the efforts that are happening happening around that undergraduate recruitment, it's exciting to see uh, because these young men and women are going to be bringing a lot to the table in the classroom um, to expand the educational experience. And many um, student veterans also bring, we were talking earlier about that leadership element, and many of them are also first-generation college students or maybe of color as well. So there's just, there's so much richness that we can tap into as we think about how do we continue to transform our environment that we already have so, so much in play and in motion in terms of equity, inclusion, and diversity work at Cornell to be proud of. But this is a group that we can really tap into to take it to the next level. I kind of want to transition a little bit more broadly outside of working with veterans and and identifying as a veteran, but we started the question with how do you get people involved in diversity and inclusion initiatives to kind of get this conversation started. I think both of you are really great examples of how you kind of expanded into other diversity and inclusion initiatives here at Cornell. So if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about kind of what are some of the things you've done, not necessarily just in your role, but maybe in your office or maybe across campus, and talk a little bit about some of the involvements that you've done to kind of expand on some of those initiatives. So I'm super proud. I've only been here for two years, but really proud to work with the Division of Alumni Affairs and Development that, and the leadership team and um, team at all levels who've really been taking an active role in our workplace climate. And while inclusion is really At the foundation of that work, we define it more broadly as our workplace climate. So we're focusing on employee engagement, collaboration, training and development, focusing our values, mission, um, and then building behaviors, behavioral expectations around our values and mission, launching division-wide programming in the areas of unconscious bias. We've been moving forward with a campaign on um, against sexual harassment as well. So with our values and um, mission, we engaged our entire community to come up with our values and mission, which is sure, service, unity, respect, excellence. And then continuing to understand what that means at a behavioral level, how to give feedback to each other, having leaders in place and employees that emulate those behaviors, focusing on unconscious bias training for everyone in the division, and then expanding that to take on a campaign that we call Sure Together around sexual harassment. And so in our industry overall, we have a significant population of women that are going and having conversations with other people, engaging in philanthropic or volunteer engagements outside of the Cornell community. So it's a little bit tricky too. So we've really been trying to focus on who are we as an organization? How do we get grounded in our values and an environment that's inclusive and so that we can continue to bring that um, out into the world as we interface with uh, alumni and key stakeholders with the university overall. One thing that I'm really proud of 
is a um, our leadership team's response to an employee who was um, transitioning through gender fluidity and had really brought our leadership team and employees together to understand how to support a colleague through the choice to, to choose which restroom felt most comfortable and identified with the gender in the moment. And um, partnering with our university colleagues from your office, mm-hmm. our leadership, our employees, bringing some workshops around transgender issues in the workplace. That experience was so rich on many levels about and just showed how the work that we'd been doing and some of the programs that I talked about came to life truly to support a colleague. And it may have just been one person, but I think that that's also created a sense of safety and a ripple effect across campus that we can continue to take on this work at a deeper level to support everyone's sense of belonging. Exactly. And and you did say it was just one person, but that one person may be very far reaching and may know other people who are having similar issues that need to be addressed in their workplace, whether they're at Cornell or elsewhere. That one person, that impact may spread out exponentially across Cornell or Ithaca or Tompkins County. And that's exactly what we want to offer. We want people to know that, listen, Cornell thought about me. We have a guide where we offer options of ways to have conversations, ways to share information, a timeline, a very rough draft of an email if the person transitioning chooses that route. So these are the things that exist already, and we are so thankful that Cornell University thought of these things. And add to that sense of belonging. And we're thankful to leverage some of these (laughs) tools. Um, I'll speak for that personally and Mm -hmm. with some other members of leadership that have um, tapped into the resources and the way that we can work with your team as well. And all that's happened within the two years you've been here. And and there's more to come. I mean, it's continuing to evolve. Our division um, will be uh, engaging in the intergroup dialogue project, having everyone go through that next year as well, knowing that that experience for first-year students is important when you think about our workforce that's then working with students and alumni mm-hmm. um, to also understand what that experience was like and connect with them in that way. Yeah, well, I mean, I asked to confirm because that's that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot that you've done in the past year, so I totally commend you for that, and I think that it speaks to just the amount of options and the, the limitless kind of opportunities that can happen for people who are really trying to have these conversations in their units that they can come to our office, they can come to, you know, any a number of different resources. Like you mentioned, the intergroup dialogue project. So there's so many different resources here that people can really take advantage of. Yeah. This is an, and this was a big we. This isn't um, Amber in my two years oh, here, course. right? Yeah, I've been a, a part effort. of yeah. this. I've been. I see myself as a connector and a networker and a, a bridge builder. But the interest has been there from employees, um, people who are volunteering to continue to engage in this space, and leadership setting the tone and importance in this work. Absolutely. So I'm. I'm just so proud to be a part of it. Yeah. So within physics. This is a a field of study that has traditionally had low representation from women and from underrepresented minorities. And that's not just a a Cornell thing, that is nationwide. And for the past two and a half years, we've been working diligently to try to identify 
opportunities to create educational experiences for undergraduates who have just graduated and want to take that next step into a PhD program, but either through resources or through some of the academic rigor of their undergraduate experience, they, they just don't have the, the CV to, to be accepted into a, a graduate program across the country. So we've been looking at the uh, creating a bridge program that would help these students get the opportunities in a laboratory experience as research assistants, TAing in the classroom, taking senior level undergraduate physics courses, and then first year graduate level courses to build up that resume so that the goal being not that they become a graduate student at Cornell, but they become a graduate student anywhere else around the country. And building that that pipeline of talented young folks to uh, make that next step. And the collaborations that we've looked at across campus, whether it's Wadi, whether it's through the DPE over in engineering and the fantastic programs that Mark Lewis and, and their team are doing over there, and reaching out to astronomy, chemistry, math, computer information sciences. There are so many different fields where this issue of women representation and underrepresented minorities is similar. And so we're trying to build a network to then take to the both the deans of, of the respective colleges, but also up to the provost office to find that opportunity for resources that would be necessary to ensure once, once we have a cohort of students at Cornell, A, do they feel that they have a community? B, are we ensuring that they have the classroom time, the research and faculty access that they need to then move forward. So we're, we've been working on this uh, for about two, two and a half years, and it is a complicated problem to solve, but we're still pushing forward. And I think that we will see some success one way or the other. And I feel that we've, we've achieved success in many respects just from having this important discussion across campus. But once we you know, if we actually have students that, that come to Cornell and are officially part of a bridge program, great. But we still have some more work to do and, and some more uh, talking to do with our partners on campus. I think it's wonderful how um, both of you use the word bridge because mm. it, it is so uh, symbolic of what we, have, what we have here. Craig, you mentioned the undergraduate student experience, whether it's an underrepresented minority or a woman or something like that in the physics department and just helping that person to move forward. And what I have realized is that if the undergraduate experience is fulfilling and rewarding and these people find community here at Cornell, they will find themselves in Amber's <laughs> realm of alumni affairs yeah. and development. Absolutely. And so it's almost like continuing the community and growing the circle mm. of, of satisfaction and belonging with Cornell. And who knows, one day one of those bridge program graduates comes back here as a faculty member. There you have it. Uh, yes. And, you know, it's, it's a long view. It's a, um, it's, there's no quick answer. No. And, uh, you know, I think there has to be that long-term commitment to uh, solving the problems. 
And I, and I don't think that a quick answer is something we should even try right. for. Right, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because everyone brings their individual experiences to the university. Mm-hmm. And so um, if, if the answer is too quick, then it's really not addressing everyone's questions. You right, know, you right. Want, you want it to be a process. And you want you, there's value in investing your time in something because then you find that it means more to you after you go through it and, 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 and just you have more ownership of something that you've invested a lot of time into. And I think that's wonderful because with the undergraduate students moving on and feeling like they are supported and there are resources that are available to them as they move through their Cornell experience by the time they become PhD um, candidates and so on and so forth, they're already establishing themselves as possible alumni for the future to stay connected with the university. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what, what we would hope. And they, they would also put the word out to, to address that sense of belonging, that Cornell is a good place, and they, do, they did feel that they belonged here as a student and even after they've left. And we're thinking about the long view on this, too. So we have years and years and decades of alumni who had a very different experience here. There were people here celebrating their 70th reunion this year, and what a different experience they may have had as a student than what the Cornell looks like today as well. So this is a really beautiful place um, where we have a lot of work to do, mm-hmm. but where we can connect people from different generations of their experience at Cornell under the guise of inclusion mm-hmm. as well. It requires us to uh, dig deep and look at our values and question some of our stereotypes that we may have made. But I am um, really inspired by the ways that we're trying to actively cultivate opportunities for people to interact across the generations of, of alumni at Cornell. And I just love the, the connection in both of your experiences with initiatives and, and being a part of larger institutional initiatives and smaller ones around that inclusion takes time, mm-hmm. right? And that Absolutely. doesn't happen overnight. And when we're talking about the return on investment, it's you are putting in the work now and it's going to take time for that long-term investment of what fostering an inclusive workplace can really be, not just for veterans or for particular populations, but for everyone, mm-hmm. regardless of the identity, mm-hmm. right? And so I really love that that connection in both of your, your stories and kind of sharing what you're involved with is that inclusion takes time and diversity benefits everyone in the long run. So if you take the time, you take the effort, you engage the leadership that, that is involved in some of these initiatives and really propose it as benefiting everyone, then you're going to see, hopefully, right, some, some outcomes and some successful initiatives that will lead to a more diverse and inclusive environment. So I think, uh, I think now is a good time to kind of ask for people, staff, especially managers, things like that, who maybe don't have veterans in their organization or maybe think they don't, but they may not be aware of it. What advice do you have for them in terms of working with other veterans? Uh, I'd say, one, don't be surprised. There are many of us across campus, uh, some that choose to let others know uh, that they're veterans. But there's also a lot of veterans that are very proud of their experience and want to share their story of what they did in the service, whether it was just one tour or making it a full career. But regardless of that, those of us that are still in the community here at Cornell have made a choice to serve in a different capacity now. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're bringing those experiences and sometimes baggage, like all of us have, we're bringing those experiences to the work that we do here at Cornell. I would also add, check your unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. 
as well um, when someone tells you that they're a veteran. I know personally when I share that, oftentimes I will get, wait, what? You were in the military? Yeah. Just by the way I present in the world or something too. And I always wonder, well, hmm, what's underneath that? Or why would somebody ask me that? Just yesterday, I was engaging with somebody who's an attorney, a local attorney that from my daughter's softball team. And she went to Cornell Law School and realized that we both grew up in a, in a small town uh, farm. And she was also a veteran and went through basic training in the Army as well. And so I had to check my own unconscious bias mm-hmm. there, too, to think, whoa, what was the story I was telling about myself about this person who went to Cornell Law School that's an attorney in the world that had this experience as well? So, you know, just check your assumptions, too. I love that. that. That's I love a good that. piece of advice, no matter yeah. where you are in the Cornell community or even outside of Cornell community, is to always be mindful of our own biases, our own unconscious bias. (laughs) And that's definitely a theme in, I would say, probably all of our episodes that we've done thus far, even Mm -hmm. with guest speakers, is that Mm -hmm. whether they name it as unconscious bias or not, but there's always that element of bias in any capacity always limits your ability to really foster an inclusive workplace, whether you're a person who works here at Cornell, whether you're a manager. So it's really everybody's role and responsibility to really check our unconscious bias and making sure that we don't impose our perceptions of what we think of people when we hear certain identities onto those people because we don't know what their story is. We don't know what experiences that they're bringing into our environment. And then all of a sudden when you find those common ground, like in your experience, when you find that common ground, oh, wait a minute, there's actually more to you than just being a veteran. There's more to you than just being LGBTQ and so on and so forth. So yeah, Yeah. that's definitely a reoccurring theme. I'm just jumping one other thing that's kind of going back to that question too, but this translates when we have other workshops in the in the diversity and inclusion space too of get to know the whole person those that have gone through transgender issues in the workplace are like there's questions that you don't lead with when you ask someone when they when you find out and as a veteran you probably also don't want to lead with oh where did you go were you did you go overseas were you at war that may be something a part of a story that someone may or may not want to share there may be you know everyone's story is unique and I think that that's just like sometimes that comes out as an initial question that might not uh, somebody might not feel safe enough to really want to go there with you yeah so ease into the conversation when you want with curiosity about learning about someone's experience as a veteran but know that it's not just what you see on TV and somebody is ready to like talk about everything that happened to them. So uh, thank you, Amber. That was a great piece of advice. But um, I do have one more question I want to ask really quickly. How can people serve as better advocates or allies to veterans? From my perspective, I think that the, the veteran community, like many communities, just wants to be able to become part of the larger group. And uh, we've made this transition from going from military service to civilian work. And again, it's, it's, it's bringing that, those experiences to the, the setting here at Cornell and just the recognition that we're out there. We're all over campus, whether we're faculty, staff, or students. You know, just like there are a lot of other folks, uh, LGBT community, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it's we're just another group that wants to be part of the collective. Yeah, stick with your open-ended questions. Like, get with curiosity, get to know somebody as a whole person, regardless if they identify with a particular affinity group. 
So thank you, Craig and Amber, for sharing your information with us, sharing your experiences as veterans. I know that our listening audience have gotten a lot of information from you both. We appreciate you spending some time with us to have this conversation. I also just want to say thank you as well. I learned a lot from this conversation. So I really, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with it, absorbing it, processing it. And for me, it's diversity and inclusion work. It's always a learning process. It's about the process, mm-hmm. not the end goal, right? And mm-hmm. so for me, just the amount of information I've learned from both of you today, it's really expanded my horizon a lot. So thank you both. I could say thanks for this experience, and this is a huge stretch of my comfort zone, the invitation to be here and checking myself to say, oh, gosh, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to share my story? Who's going to hear this? But as I sit here and we wrap up this really great conversation, I want to send an invitation to anyone listening to put yourself out there and share your story, whatever it is, whether you're a veteran, whether you identify with an affinity group, just bring yourself, take that courage to share your story and be yourself. And hopefully that will inspire others around you to do the same. Like that's what we're talking about when we are creating an inclusive environment is a space where we can bring ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This has been a cool experience. So thank you all for listening to today's episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment and like us on SoundCloud to let people know about the podcast. Also, if you or a fellow colleague would like to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please email us at ie-academy at cornell.edu. My name is Sharon Brown. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. And thank you to Bert Odom-Reed, our sound engineer from the Cornell Broadcast Studio, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks a lot, Bert. Bert. Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Bert.